Graham? Well, hello, Jeff. <laughs> I was just sitting here pondering the importance of the Jokasada legacy on Marvel Comics for the last 10 years. And wistfully thinking back to those days when Bob Harris was in charge of a major comic publisher with iconic characters and kind of running it into the ground. And then I then I saw that DC Comics were holding the line at 299 and I thought, happy days are here again. <laughs> okay, please explain, sir. Do you feel that... Uh, DC <laughs> no, it was, it was just a cheap joke. Hi, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait. What? Comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. I thought we'd try a cold open, so I'm not going to tell you what we're going to be talking about. You're just going to have to listen and find out for yourself. Enjoy. The thing that I love about that joke was it started off, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, actually, you know, DC's starting things off okay. I mean, it's only a few days in, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm kind of obviously living as we do in a world where Flex Mentello is actually going to be collected. Um, which probably explains why birds are dropping dead from the sky, by the way. Uh, I, I really do think that these are, you know, DC's, DC's got a shot. The, DC's started off the year pretty well. Yeah, I thought so too. So I mean, the, the, the Flex news is great. The weirdest news is Peter Milligan on a Red Lantern's ongoing series. Yeah. That which, was... you know, really has the potential to be wonderful or terrible. Well... See, no, but you know what I mean? Like, depending totally. on which Pete Mulligan shows up, yeah. that will be a spectacular comic or an almost unreadable comic. I was going to say, you, you have no idea which one it's going to be until it appears. Peter Milligan, the Nicolas Cage of comics? Discuss. Oh, yes. You're, <laughs> you're completely right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it, it is. that That is very, very odd news. It's also kind of a very odd... Yeah, I mean, it's one of those deals where I'm not sure how it happened. I don't know if they're, like, you know, dipping their toe in the water to see if they can get all the other colored lanterns into, like, their own separate books. It just sort of seems crazy, but... Don't forget that one of the Blue Lanterns is joining the Justice League of America. Yeah, I did think that that was... uh, I thought that was... That was an interesting move. Yeah, wasn't it? It, It's kind of... um, I don't know, you know, I... Part of me is kind of, I do feel, I do worry that, like, DC has, like, I, I'm worried that they don't have much in their in their playbook apart from the, you know, Jeff Johns, you know, on one page and the other page is the Grant Morrison, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they kind of need to get a little more, um, a few more moves in there, you know? I think they have the potential for, for some more moves. I mean, I, I think the Paul Carnell, seeing as we're, we're naming them as writers, um, I think what he's doing with action uh, has been really, really good. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Chris Robertson doing Superman, especially seeing what um, his comments on the end of Grounded, which were pretty much like, oh, that's kind of what I wanted all along. What, um, what have, he... have you... No, no. So he basically said, like, he sees grounded as Superman has lost faith in what he believed in as a result of everything that's been happening over the last few years, which, mm-hmm. you know, JMS definitely set up. Right. Um, but in Roberson's eyes, the, rema- the remaining issues of the storyline will feature Superman r- finding his faith again mm-hmm. by going through experiences that remind him of experiences he's had before, 
So there will be a, an amount of um, flashback action to accompany Superman crossing the, the country. Mm-hmm. So, for example, he'll run in something and it'll remind him of an adventure with the Justice League or, right. you know, an experience with Aquaman, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, the, but it will be a story about Superman basically regaining his faith and recharging. You know, uh, and that that mixed with the the wonderful visual that DC put online at the beginning of the week, right? Uh, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's I'll sign up for that, right? Graham, let let me ask you something. Excuse okay, because uh, this I I me being so slow <laughs> and behind on all of this stuff. I apologize if this is something that has been widely discussed and considered, but. <clears throat> so JMS's uh, grounded storyline. Superman decides to start walking across America, ab- abandons Metropolis. Yes. Acts out of character almost whenever possible. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like every Silver Age, or or rather a Silver Age Superman story? Does oh that... yeah, it, it it sounds like it's not Superman or it's Red Kryptonite. Well, well, yeah, but like, like just from the whole like, um, you know, like the cover of like a, an of a action comics from like 1963, where like all the people of Metropolis are like standing at a bridge or something like that, and they're like, and, and they'll say something like, you know, they'll be throwing cans at him or something. Well, As he walks away, and someone will, like there'll be a war balloon saying, "I can't believe Superman would abandon Metropolis." And it'll have, like they'll have some sort of question, like you know, why is Superman suddenly an asshole? <laughs> right, exactly. I was actually thinking of the one where it's like they're all looking, and like Lois Lane is saying something like, "Superman, no choke. Why are you abandoning us?" Question mark. And Superman, who's of course sort of walking into the foreground across the bridge, looks very forlorn and vaguely constipated in that wonderful Kurt Swan way. And the thought balloon is is like, I can't tell them that the reason why I have to like if I don't walk across America, Earth is doomed. Like exclamation point. And then there is the like reader colon. Can you guess why Superman must? you know, walk across eternity, you know, kind now, of thing. Yeah, you see, that would be great, but so far in the JMS run, there's been no uh, implication that Superman is walking across America for any reason other than he is incredibly self-involved and potentially a dick. No, absolutely, I agree. But there, I kind of do have that moment of like, man, it would have been totally awesome if there had been some bizarro reason. Because, you know, they, in the oh, Silver if Pagers... There's, if there's a reveal mm-hmm. at the end, then, yeah. It, it's, I mean, so, someone definitely could save it with, with the reveal. Yeah, and, and even keep it to that whole thing of like, you know, by tracing the ley lines across America, I've been slowly sapping the mystic energies of the Qui Gong invaders, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know. It, and it's this is just a throwaway. I, it's clear that Robertson's not doing anywhere else, is, is going in a different direction, and I think good for him. But I did have that kind of moment of like, wow, this could be, like, you could turn this into, like, the biggest, most absurd Silver Age shout-out, like, ever, and it would be kind of awesome. I, can you imagine the reaction of the internet if it's, like, if the last issue... <laughs> He was like, I've been walking the ley lines of America and I couldn't tell you about it. People would, would just... People would call for the cancellation of all DC Comics. 
Oh, yeah, but, like, come on. Think about how people would react to the Silver Age DC comics of back then if they were coming out now. Yeah, would be like, he, he, I found Roberson's quote. He says, On an unconscious level, Superman's return to the American heartland is an attempt to reconnect with the values that he has begun to question and to revisit the kind of places where he had his earliest formative experiences. As 2011 unfolds, we'll see Superman get to the real heart of this journey, both geographically and emotionally, as he encounters allies and enemies that remind him of key moments in his past. An encounter with the Flash in Colorado serves to remind Superman of the time he and teenage Lex Luthor shared a detention hall. Meeting with Batman in Utah Desert calls to mind the time Clark Kent and a young Bruce Wayne defended a village from in Butran from Vandal Savage, who was searching for the roads to Nanda Parbarat, which is a great idea, by the way. And of course, those are only two of the eight stories we'll be telling. Right. Oh, well, yeah. So, exactly, and I'm like, you know what? Sure. Sure. I'll read that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there there's something that's kind of... But there, I think there is that, that weird thing of like, hmm. For me, like, I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, you can't do it for like 12 issues. I think there's something actually really absurd to the idea of just the way that Grant Morrison took 12 issues of All-Star Superman to like do his like shout outs to like you know, dozens of Silver Age Superman stories and like JMS like was going to take 12 issues to painfully one. recreate <laughs> one, you know, I think would be kind of awesome. I doubt that was what happened. I have to say, as somebody who has not read Superman Grounded, every panel that someone posts online is like a little treasure, like a little treasure of wrongness. Like, for someone who pays no attention to it, like, I think I was looking at, like, I don't know, I, the Comics Alliance wrap-up where they were presenting some of the panels or something from the it. The Comics like, Alliance wrap-up was really good, wasn't it? It really was great. I, I really did end up enjoying that. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, where I was like, really? This, like, popped up in, like, it's really like JMS looked at that Superman is a dick website and was like, well, this is clearly what I want to replicate. Yes. Now yeah. I know what I want to do. <laughs> Let's face it. The best things that made Superman an awesome character was the fact that he was a dick, you know? I can get back to that really easily. Really easily. I'm going, going to send... Issues, I'm going to change everyone's perception of the Man of Steel. Exactly. I'm going to tell someone they're having a heart attack and walk away. I'm going to have them tell tell have a, a tell a kid to deliver a message to drug dealers and then walk off. You know, like this will no, be no, awesome. No, but it's not just that. Like the message to drug dealers is this neighborhood's under my protection. The rest of them, I don't care if you go there. Go anywhere else. Really, just. <laughs> Do what you want. Like, really, it really was... I was fascinated about how, like, you really couldn't underline sort of that idea of, like, why Superman doesn't work in the real world, like, better than in just, like, those few panels. Like, really, like, huh, yeah, that's really... Okay. That's really a bad idea. Well, nice job. <laughs> you, you have... I think you really have managed to push the self-destruct on this character. Perfect. So, um, you know, earlier we were talking about a comic book series that kind of are long-running, that have a sweep and an engagement with sort of all forms of, of culture, and also kind of have, um, I don't know, you know, just kind of really have something at stake in the way that The Invisibles kind of did. Yes. You know? um, and have you of, thought of one? Well, no, actually, but what I thought might be interesting to talk about is for me anyway, and hopefully for you, is how 
uh, The Walking Dead is the absolute inverse of that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, part of what made me think about it is, you know, Walking Dead has been running for 80 issues or so at this point. I've read all of them. When I buy my comics, and I'm usually a month or two months behind, the Walking Dead books are the ones that end up floating to the top, and they are the first ones that I read. Um, And I flip through them pretty breathlessly. I'll even flip through the letters column. I would have to say that I am a devoted Walking Dead fan. And yet, I cannot honestly in any way say that it is in any way, shape, or form like the Invisibles, or even really anything that is engaged in anything other than itself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And the other thing is, I don't think The Walking Dead, and I'm, I have to admit, I'm not a massive fan of The Walking Dead. Right. But um, I don't think The Walking Dead has anything to say about anything, or for that matter, really works as a long long form narrative. In so far as I don't think there's, I don't think. It does anything more than continue. Okay. I don't think that it it throws new light on what happened before. I don't even think it really sets up long term storylines. Right. That is because I think you are not reading. The thing that I think is <laughs> no, no, and I don't mean that as a thing, but I think that's the greatest response. That's because you're not reading. Well, no, I mean, unless unless I'm wrong, and you have read 80 issues of, of The Walking Dead. Oh, no, um, I've not. I've not, I've not right. read anywhere near that amount. Right. The, the Walking Dead really is one of those great joys of... it. It's kind... The thing that's ironic about it is, is that it really is, in its way, almost like the days of reading... It, it's like reading a Stephen King novel that never ends. You know, it's like reading The Stand. And that like, sounds attractive to me. Well, but this is the thing that's really funny, Graham, is is that maybe you've never been a King fan, but I distinctly remember the feeling of reading The Stand when I was like 12 years old. And it was, this was the, the edited version. This wasn't the edited, you know, unedited version that came out on The Stands later. That version, it's like, it's like, 800 pages long and I remember like well it's probably only 600 pages I remember like being 400 pages into it and going like oh my god I just wish this book would never end and I'm I I swear to you that says everything about how you know clueless you can be as a teenager in a way but I was (laughs) totally serious absolutely 100% I love the characters and it it was more of I love the the feeling of it, the alternate worldness of it. Like I was really invested in the characters, this sort of like how are they rebuilding civilization and kind of this thing of when everything falls away, like these few people that are left. It's you know, it's kind of a very strangely uh adolescent thing, you know, post apocalypse in a way. That whole idea of like when everybody else dies off and you're one of the few people that's left you're suddenly important, you know? <laughs> and there's something that's so deeply, like, adolescent and teenage Exactly. It's, it's like, no, I'm the last man on Earth. Now will you give me a date? <laughs> right. No, but exactly. it is. Like, reduced to its, its base, that's what it is. Right. Everyone else on Earth has died. Right. Now people have to pay attention to you. Which is one of... And so this is one of the things that, like, although this one of the, one of the great 
the brilliant things about Stephen King's The Stand is he's got a character who is a nerd character uh, who is clever enough to survive the apocalypse and actually helps lead people. And at the end, it's sort of at the end of the day when civilization starts to reform, he, like, no one even knows in a way that he was ever sort of the fat, nerdy, acneed schlub that he'd been, you know? But he can't let go of who he was. He ends up basically falling in with evil. He ends up being seduced by, you know, the evil side without really any real problems at all because his self-identity is so tied into that creation because literally when he becomes one of the last people on earth, he falls in love with a woman and he can't have her because she's fallen in love with some other dude and it just buys into that whole hatred and self-hatred that he has within him. Now, admittedly, this is not Dostoevsky, but it's kind of a pretty decent observation about human nature and the way that we sometimes end up carrying stuff from our early years we can never really quite shake off. Um, interestingly enough, <laughs> the thing that's sad is I'm now going to say, I don't even think that Walking Dead necessarily has that level of human perception to it. <laughs> it really, I'm not sure that it does. I'll be honest. Um, but, but one of the things that's kind of great about Walking Dead is that it, it brings in characters and kills them. It brings in new characters and you get to care about them and then kills them. And it really has like, as it, as it goes on, um, I think one of the things that it says that's sort of relatively unique in, in popular fiction is, uh, you know, there's kind of that classic idea of trauma in superhero comics and really in popular fiction of like when you, you know, run into something that is truly horrible and terrible, it changes you. And if you're a heroic person, it, you know, you catalyze that and you turn it into something positive, you know, like, you know, Batman, for example. The thing that I kind of like about Walking Dead is it really buys into sort of the, the view of trauma that, (laughs) that, psychologists really deal with which is you know that honestly if you're in a miserable situation day in and day out it starts to change you and the fact is more often than not it doesn't change you for the better and I have to say that one of the things that although Kirkman does it sort of painfully obviously one of the things that's really enjoyable over the course of 80 issues or so is how much you worry, like, you've, you do see these characters change. You particularly see the protagonist change from somebody who is relatively upbeat and who believes in people to becoming someone grittier and harder. And, and, but, and, and so the struggle is really about his ability to continue to believe in people and believe in himself. Again, not necessarily the, the work of a fantastic art, um, but kind of satisfying. But the thing that I find kind of interesting to me is, is that The Walking Dead, like I said, is the antithesis of The Invisibles in that it has almost nothing to say other than here's some characters, here's the shit that they're in, here's what's going to happen to them next, and sort of like, here's what's going to happen, like their sort of weird goodness may become a weird badness or maybe it will become a weird greatness kind of thing. 
it's amazing how satisfying it is for me, month in and month out, without necessarily being anything, like, it's such a weird, um, it's so much slighter than The Invisibles, is what I'm trying to say. The thing that's impressive to me about Walking Dead is that it is not, that its ambitions are so low, for the most part, and yet they're precisely in its sights. I think it manages to hit the bullseye that it sets for itself month in and month out to the point where, like I said, every time I come in, those books rise to the top of the rack and they're what I read. And yet, weirdly, they're not anything that I've talked about with you. They're not really anything that I've written about online. Apart from, in passing, I will say, hey, I like them, they're okay. Which, honestly, since I haven't written anything in Savage Critic, substantive or otherwise I'm not sure I've actually said that in like you know two years or so but but it weirdly it's true you know what I mean so I kind of thought apart from me babbling on and on and on I thought that um, since we started by talking about Nicolas Cage maybe we could talk (laughs) I, I could talk about The Walking Dead as a book that is is quote unquote good in this satisfying way but is never great you know and talking about, maybe talking about, like, if you have books similarly that are things that you appreciate that aren't, I, I don't even want to say The Walking Dead is a guilty pleasure, because it's not, not in that sort of Nicholas Cagey way. It's just a pleasure, but I'm aware that it's like a very minor sort of pleasure. It's not going to be anything that changes the world, but it is kind of like the the summer the summer paperback that never ends. And there's something that is proving to be deeply enjoyable about that. See, what I find sort of surprising about that is the, the summer paperback that never ends as a concept to me is not an exciting one. Mm -hmm. Um, Even for something I'm really enjoying, Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Even like an ongoing superhero series, the idea that like it would always continue, I find oddly depressing. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that the case? Like, do you really think you're going to read the last issue of Spider-Man in your lifetime? No, but I can read the last issue of a particular writer's run on Spider-Man mm-hmm. and have some sense of closure mm-hmm. and walk away. Right. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, it's not it's not like Kirkman is at any point going to hand over The Walking Dead to someone else and in doing so come up with his final Walking Dead story. I think he will end that story. I could be wrong, but I am reading it under the assumption that he is going to end it. It might not be until issue 200 or 300 or something, but I I am willing to bet that there will be a conclusion to The Walking Dead. I just okay. But I also, no, I, 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 I can see that. Like right. I, you know, when I think about it, I'm not. I don't think he like he'll continue until he kills over and dies. Yeah. Um, but I guess what it is is, and this, I think this might be one of the reasons why I'm sort of slowly drifting away from fables. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that someone does not necessarily have a plan for where they're going, mm-hmm. um, I think as that becomes more and more obvious. Mm-hmm. And this is not always the case. Like I think, for example, comedies can can survive with with no real plan. But I think for dramatic fiction, I like to have an idea that someone at least has a vague aim of where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, to talk about fables, which is for me kind of, and again, not a guilty pleasure, but something I, ha- I will happily like pick up the trade whenever it's out and enjoy the trade. Mm-hmm. Since Fable says, do you read Fables? Uh, I don't. I gave up on it pretty early on, unfortunately. So after Fables, like, did their war with the adversary, mm-hmm. which is what the entire series had been building up. Yeah, to. you would think that would be the conclusion. Yeah, like everything after that has been sort of like, oh, how we're not cancelled. Um, and it's been like, it's not been as interesting. And so the, you come up with, you know, now there's another bad guy and he's even worse. And it's kind of like, really? Yeah. Um, and the, everything I liked about the series is still there, mm-hmm. but I like it all less now. Sure. For some. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird thing. I, I, I can see why it would be appealing to you, mm-hmm. but it is, it's not appealing to me. Right. Uh, well, and I do want to say in my defense, like a little bit like what we were talking about with, uh, you know, the idea that, <clears throat> that I mentioned in our, in our text edition, that, that, that what happens to Cyclops will really be the sort of conclusion of the X-Men sets of storylines that have been moving forward, you know? Um, I do think that Walking Dead is going to end where it ends or how it ends is going to end with whatever ends up happening, whatever we're supposed to, the final fate of the main character. Mm-hmm. I just feel like part of the joy is like seeing how far it's going to go before it gets there. And again, the various, so it's kind of weird. It's odd that you would like have a problem with it when it's really just like a very, very long run of a comic book you know it that will like it's like I don't amazing know, I, spider-man I, I, with a run that you know that will actually wrap up in a way there, there's know? there's just something about it that i don't it feels i don't want to say aimless because that sounds like rude and more of a damning statement than i'm, I'm looking for <laughs> it feels like no but it feels like it's literally and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened right. as opposed to it building to anything right um and I find that really difficult to deal with unless, in superhero cases, I have nostalgic attachments to the characters. Mm-hmm. As it is, I don't really like the Walking Dead characters that much. Right. So the idea of just continually reading, and then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and that there's not really a plot right. um, does not make it an attractive book to me. <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? Yes, no, I totally do. I, I Again, I part of me is... Uh, I, I think there's part of me on like, no, but it does. But I totally see what you're saying because it doesn't. If you're not invested in the characters, kind of, like I think the, this is the trick to serial fiction. Like I, I assume that you are, you and I are the same in that despite our various loves for like, um, you know, superhero serial fiction, like you haven't, you, did you ever go through like a, a huge fantasy novel phase in your youth? Where I, you I read didn't, like... and I actually, I didn't, and I really have um, a weird prejudice against fantasy. <laughs> I, find, I find fantasy really hard to deal with, and I don't know why. And I know on an intellectual level that pretty much fantasy is superhero fiction. Right. You know what I mean? Like everything I dislike about fantasy is present in superhero fiction. Right. But for some reason, I can I can stand it in superhero fiction, and I cannot stand it in fantasy. <laughs> but even like even well even the dressed up science fiction space opera stuff like you never read like thirty six books in like a a fifty book series or something no, like that. No, no, no. I I, that, I really there's something about that that I'm just like oh that's far too much work. <laughs> 
it's interesting because for the most part I haven't either. So there's kind of a weird like I'm like, oh, interesting. But it's this weird like, yeah, but I bought so I just want to make sure that it sounds like I don't think that what you are are saying or seeing in in Walking Dead is necessarily what you're you know, I want to make sure that it's not the same thing. This I don't think that Walking Dead is like Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series or something like that that spins out for 36 volumes and or maybe it will. Well, it's like do do you remember Kill Your Boyfriend? Yes. Do you remember um, the character's initial boyfriend in Kill Your Boyfriend and talking about the fantasy novel he was reading? Yes. Do you remember what he said? No. He said it was initially meant to be a trilogy but he said oh Jeez, keeps having ideas, and now it's 15 bars. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something about that that describes they... Grant Morrison on Batman? First of all, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really describes what, like, A, why I don't really like fancy novels, and B, in a way, what I don't like about The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Like, it just keeps going on. <laughs> not it doesn't feel like there are new ideas it just keeps going on uh well i i do think i think that it moves through cycles there's definitely been periods where it's kind of the same thing and then it gets a little bit different and then it's in other words i totally see your feeling i understand your feeling about it i don't think that it's fully justified or in the same way i think what it is is i've not read all 80 issues well but i don't know and i'm and I probably never will. Unless I thought true. At some point, I'll probably be like, I should, and I'll get them all at the library. Yeah, um, and, and I know you. That's the sort of thing I do. I'm like, right. I don't like this. However, it's in the library. <laughs> <laughs> For example, I read all of Invincible from the library. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Invincible then. Because I actually, I don't think I made it more than the first three or four trades. And honestly, well, that Invincible, was just... Invincible is pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. It just keeps going on. Right. right. And that was kind of what I was saying, like, I did with Invincible. Like, I I find Invincible completely fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not true. I find it enjoyable when I'm reading it, but there's nothing memorable afterwards that I'm like, I can't wait to read this next book. Right. Well, uh, then it, it's a little bit like The Walking Dead for me, then, in that sense. Because, like I said, I have a very difficult time wa- recommending Walking Dead. But yeah, I enjoy like, reading. I would, but here's like, I wouldn't buy Invincible. Uh, I wouldn't spend I money on it. And right. you're spending money in The Walking Dead. Every I am. Month. I clearly am. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I, there's a difference between enjoying something you're reading for free mm-hmm. and enjoying something enough to pay for. That is true. Um, and Invincible's fine, but Invincible again just keeps going on. And occasionally he's like, and now we're building up to this. But you know, the 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 grand events he builds up to feel very rote. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for all his and everything is different. It's like not really. <laughs> yeah, but well, which again is that kind of thing of like, eh, but not so much. You know, well, I can't even remember where I saw it. It might have been um, Chris Butcher's blog today. Mm-hmm. Him pointing out that Marvel in the last year have sent out two different press releases with nothing will ever be the same again. <laughs> Which I thought was wonderful. I, I thought that was very, very funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, right, well, which is that weird thing of like, yeah, the the more things change, the more they don't. 
The more they stay the same, I suppose. The more they change, the more they don't. The more that's they don't. Not, that's not the initial saying, but it is one that's perfectly true. Yeah, that, I was like, yeah, well, I thought about changing it up and then realized, no, I worked myself into a corner. So, you, but, so is there any, so you don't have, like, kind of... Um, I know, I do, like, I even said that in the Savage Critic. Like, I, Justice League, for example, is, is something I'd consider a guilty pleasure. Yes, but you're not, uh, I'm buying every issue of, like... Justice League. Well, of course, because... Of- well, I'm buying every issue of James Robinson's run of Justice League. And, to be fair, Justice League has been a fairly consistent purchase for me, at least since, probably since the Detroit Era League. Wow. wow. I got I got as much as I was able to pre-comic store. Mm-hmm. I got every issue I could of that, for example. Mm-hmm. I got every issue of Justice League, the, the Keith Giffen, Jim uh, Tamadi's Justice League. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept going through the Dan Jurgens run after that. Wow! I dropped it after that and then picked it up again when it, Grant Morrison took over. Right. But even then, that's only like a matter of four or five years. Right. That's not a long time. Got yeah. all the Morrison run into the Wade run, mm-hmm. into the Joe Kelly run. Right. Uh, and then pretty much dropped it when Chuck Austin took over, which was only about six issues. And then yeah. picked it up again after that because it was tying into Infinite Crisis. Mm. Then got the first year of um, Brad Meltzer not knowing that he would go on to write Dakota to do Dakota. <laughs> uh, even though I didn't like it, I still got it. Right. Uh, and then then continued into the McDuffie era. Mm-hmm. Then dropped it when Len Wein took over, which was only three issues before coming back on for uh, Jim Robinson. So yeah, Justice League is pretty much a guilty pleasure. Wow. It has, okay. to, be, it has to be pretty bad Justice League for me not to buy the book. Seriously. Well, and it's interesting because you, why did you skip Len Wein? You, do you, are you planning on getting those back issues now that you've enjoyed Generations or, or sorry, uh, Legacies? Maybe if they're horrifically cheap. Uh, I skipped it pretty much because I decided at that point I was just dropping Justice League. I wasn't enjoying it that much. Right. Uh, I, re- I really thought that McDuffie was going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then like McDuffie was quite open with, actually, no, I'm not. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. And that was the point where I dropped it. Like, I didn't even get the last few McDuffie issues. Oh, interesting. Um, well, it's pretty much as soon as he was like, yeah, I'm not allowed to do what I want to do. Right. I, I, I don't care that much then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, if, if if what I'm going to be reading is someone not getting to do what they want to do, I don't really want to pay money for it. Right. Um, and then I got the first... It's kind of unf- like it's a weird way that I started getting again. I got the first two Robinson issues as comps. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't really like them that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only post Black as Night time where Robinson's like, here's my new team the team that lasted like three issues that, um, <laughs> that I was like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. Not because of what was happening in the present day, but because I really liked the flight that he was doing at that, that time. Mm-hmm. Cause he was like, you know, this story ties in with scalp hunter and Tomahawk or, you know, this ties in with, you know, plastic man who for some reason is alive in world war two, which, you know, isn't really DC codes news anymore, but apparently is again. Oh, Jesus. So, um, you know, and so the flashback stuff was like, I wonder where I wonder where this is going, mm-hmm. uh, and it, then it went into the the um, rise and fall of Green Arrow, that like called half the cast, um, and then from there it went into the Justice Society crossover, and I am a big sucker for Justice League Justice Society crossovers, right. like that. That is a really nostalgia sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I was like, I wonder what this is going to be like. And somewhere along the line, realized that more than anything, the book reminds me of like the 1970s Justice Leagues that I grew up on, mm. and and that that's enough for me to like it. Sure. You know, it's it's uh, interesting. I, I I had a number of responses to that. One is I kind of feel like the Joe Kelly Doug Monkey uh, run never quite got its due. Like I remember, oh, it's like great, it's much better than people like ever remember it being. Yeah, I I remember because that was back when I was reviewing books like at least biweekly for the for the critic um, online, and I would be like. I read every issue of it, and it's like one would be a flop, or maybe two issues would be a flop, and then he'd have a really strong conclusion, or there'd be a really strong, like, it was kind of like the book was never quite, it wasn't firing on all cylinders, but it was surprisingly satisfying. Like, and particularly, you know, I mean, Doug Bunk's art was just fabulous, so. But. It's, it's, um, I, it's one of those things that I kind of want to be like, you should go back and reread it and trade. Um, because. To my mind, it's up there with the Morrison one. Yeah, I think it's really close. And that's kind of the thing. It's like I would have issues that wouldn't work, and then there would be a piece, and I'd be like, this is really, really close. Like, I just kind of felt like it never kind of quite got the credit that it deserved, which I I mean, he he did the, I can't even remember. I want to say it's the Golden Age, but I'm probably entirely misremembering. He did this, like, 12-part arc, Mm -hmm. uh, which in the middle of it, the entire Justice League dies. (laughs) <laughs> like way back in the past, they just die. It's not even like a fake out. Yeah, they die, uh, and he has a whole new Justice League. <laughs> um, and then, like, they get brought back to life through some weird magical right shenanigans. But as part of it, Plastic Man has to survive, like, basically from prehistoric times through to the modern day before he can get revived, and he remembers it all. Oh my god! You know, which is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it, it's full of that sort of thing. That's really fun. Yeah, uh, no, and, I... and it just does not get a, it does not get the credit it deserves. No, I agree. It does not Ke- get it. Kelly as a writer, I think, does not get the, the, the credit it deserves. I think he's really, really good. I thought his Spider-Man stuff, mm-hmm. uh, back in the, the three times a month stuff, mm-hmm. was the best. Mm-hmm. I thought he and Wade did the best issues of that, definitely. It's kind of tough for me because Kelly was doing the writing and I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I do think that, I think that Kelly's really underrated. He's also, he's one of those guys where it seems like half the time he's paired with artists that I just don't like. And I know that David Brothers would think this heresy, but I just, I don't like Chris Bacalow's recent uh, incarnation. Incredible blockiness. Yeah, just, I, well, I'm, I like incredible blockiness on John Romita Jr., but but blockiness mixed with kind of that, um, I guess Bacalo has just got a more ambitious des- design sense. So his page designs are very complex, I guess. And as a unit, it just becomes something I don't want to read. Like I ba- just... Bacalo needs a really, really, really smart colorist or else sometimes his pages are impossible to read. Yeah, I guess that must be it. But e- even then, like I just remember there's so many times I pick up his stuff and I'm just like, I just don't. I just don't want to read this. Like, and my eye just rejects it. Like, this is not going to be a pleasant experience for me. So, I was reading. Um, I think Shed, whatever the lizard, the mm-hmm. last lizard plotline was, something, uh, and it's Bacalor, mm-hmm. and the the collection has uncolored Bacalor in the back, the, co- the covers uh, as, as the pen and ink, mm-hmm. and it looks so much better. Oh, interesting. Um. Which really surprised me. I would have thought that it would have been like 
undecipherable. Right. Um, but no, it looks a lot better. And it really made me realize how important color is to Bacolow's work. Is it because Bacolow, like, in black and white, like, uses, like, I don't know, negative space as a way to well, really... Well, he, he, he definitely does a lot of that. I mean, Bacolow definitely pays a lot of attention to um, design uh, with a, with an eye to the shapes on the page as opposed to um, definitely looking at figurative right. representation. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also, when you're reading a comic, the color really guides your eye much more than you think it does. That's and so if you have bad coloring, mm-hmm. it can completely knock important details off for your eye. You just won't really see it unless you're really paying attention. Yeah. Whereas in black and white, you, you have to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you notice all these details that aren't there in uh-huh. color. Interesting. Um, I mean... A lot of people talk about, you know, great color. Uh, Dave McCaig, for example, I think it's really important to Pascal Ferry's work in Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, or Dave Stewart doing great work with Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. Right. But you just have to compare the original versions of Casanova to the recolored versions of Casanova to see how important color is yeah. and how it changes the page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird, but I think Bacalow actually worked a lot better in black and white. Hmm. I'd love to see him work with uh, Dave Stewart or Dave McCaig. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I've just realized it's Matt Hollingsworth that's coloring. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I because I had read your I, recent I, Thor true. versus Thor yeah. review. Yeah, I was like, well, I thought it was Hollingsworth, who, of course, is an exceptional colorist. Yeah. Um, absolutely top-notch. Eh. So uh, I've read Wolverine, The Best There Is, number one. Just, I actually read that on the can this morning. Did have you? Did you read that? Like, <laughs> I have not. Um, I am. I'm not a massive Wolverine fan. It takes a lot to get me to read a Wolverine book, to be honest. Interestingly enough, I bought, picked up the book kind of on a whim in sort of this weird, like you know, hey, I think I like Wolverine books. Like, kind of like there's sort of that. Like, I like gritty crime fiction. I like what Jason Aaron's doing with the character. Like, it's it's kind of very much like. I feel like everyone's sort of getting to to the Wolverine that I wanted to kind of Greg Rucka to be at, which is the, you know, it, Greg Rucka's Wolverine run without the cough syrup, you know what I mean? And so <laughs> I was like, oh, this, I, I should pick this up. It's Charlie Houston. It's um, it, Juan Jose Reap. Uh, like, I mean, the, you know, a whole bunch of warning flags. And I picked it up, and I'm like, eventually, like, realized, like, wow, I've still got all these comics I haven't read. I'll read one, this one on the can. And I was like, wow, this is, ugh. I think maybe that's part of why when we is it terrible? I kind of thought so. Maybe other people would disagree, but I thought, and it's interesting because it really is this level of, well, this is what you want, don't you? And I mean, there's a way in which I'm like, yeah, I guess, kind of, it, you know it's interesting to me it opens up with like a four page well the first interesting thing is is that it clearly should be a max book but they decided not to do that so even on the first issue they say absolutely positively not for kids yeah i saw that and it's like why isn't it max book and i guess it really comes down to more people order if it isn't yeah Exactly. And then you open it up and it's like, this is way more over the top than most of the Max books that I've seen in some time. I Which think. interestingly enough raises the question of why does Max exist? Right. If Marvel's is going to, if Marvel's going to mature readers book without the Max label, why does right. Max exist? Well, which is, which is a really good question. I think they were sort of dipping their toes in the water of 
how well can't sort of like how far it, can we go? What's that? How far can we go? Yeah, exactly. Like kind of like is the max label is it limiting us our sales for this sort of thing? Like you know because I think we're again to get back to our little text version, which I I have to admit I'm sorry we're not reading like a radio script as uh, one of the commenters suggested because I think that's such a great idea. I was very surprised that so many people liked the text version. I, I got a lot of comments, both um, in email and on Twitter, along the lines of, I never get a chance to listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It kind of, it was it was sort of like, what, wow. Like, I'm pleased that, that people liked it. I was also sort of, kind of, I was hoping that people would be like, wow, this is great. I'm going to now give give the podcast. I'm not going to listen to your podcast. Right, Exactly. Uh, instead, people were like, yes, do more of these, because I will never listen to your podcast. <laughs> well, you can't blame them. Well, it is. It's, it's terrible. It's, it is. It's, it's, I mean, the quality is just not there, Jeff. Like, it's true. It's true. There are those weird times when like, one of us goes on speakerphone without telling the other person about it, and then they, they, you just are left cast adrift. <laughs> Wait, when does that happen? Isn't that what's going on now? You sound completely distant from the speaker. You're not. Uh, you're not on on speaker or something. No. <laughs> My passive aggressive gambit has failed. <laughs> you don't sound different. Do I sound different? Yeah, you actually sound. Are you in like a different space or something? You sound a lot more echoey and a little fainter than you than you did previously. No, hang on. I'm gonna move that. Do I sound better now? Okay, about... now you sound a little better. Yeah, now you sound closer. That's really odd. Really? Hang on. What? What about now? Better. Better. Yes. N- normal. Yes. That's really weird. Do you want to know the difference? Yes. My chair was slightly further away from the laptop, and then I moved it back. What? Huh? But you've got like a microphone headset, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, that doesn't make. That's why it's strange. <laughs> That makes no sense whatsoever then. Because, yeah, it was a huge difference. You were, it was like you were halfway across the room all of a sudden. That's really weird. Huh. I, I'm like. <laughs> exactly. Everyone thinks, huh. <laughs> and some of us think, huh, I wonder what your settings are on your computer. <laughs> well, who knows? Forever a mystery. Anyway, Wolverine, the best there is, number one, skeeved me out, which was interesting because I really did have that moment of like, well, I don't necessarily know. Like, I'm familiar with Juan Jose Rip stuff, you know, and uh, it's gotten skeevy before, and I'm generally like, okay. But there were some... certainly okay with skeevy. Yeah, but this was like, wow, the the just the sheer wait, wait, sort why of... why is it skeevy? Uh, what, Rip's work? No, the, the comic. Oh, okay. Well, the comic starts with Wolverine being um, caught by and forced to fight an arena um, to the death against, like, apparently previously other dogs and mutants. So he's, like, naked and shackled and being tasered, and he basically manages to break free, flip out, and then kill everyone. So you've got severed heads and blood flying everywhere by page four. And I'm like, oh man, where's it going to go from here? From there, interestingly enough, this is actually a story that he's telling to a woman in a car who has picked him up uh, as they drive into San Francisco to go some to some 
party that she knows of. Uh, it intercut with a sequence of villains that show up, dig an undying man who's been tra- trapped in quicksand for a, a period of time out of the quicksand and proceed to basically burn his cheek off in graphic detail just to make sure that he has the regeneration capabilities that they want. Then it cuts back to Wolverine at this party, dancing with other people, and then basically having, um, meeting some villain who messes with his brain to the point where at the end of the book, Wolverine like digs his claws into his own guts. And there's a couple of jokes about him unleashing his claws to cut people's hair. So it's, it's, it's really, first off, it's not especially smart, I guess. Um, and it's just, it's just skeevy. Like I said, it's just skeevy. There's like, there's no actual nudity, which, you know, Juan Jose Rip had started, got his starter, um, has a lot of experience drawing porno comics, um, before he started doing work for Avatar, uh, or maybe even concurrent to his work with Avatar. But here for Marvel, part of the thing that's kind of a shame is, is there's one shot of him like drawing a bunch of people in a club. And because it's kind of a Marvel monthly book or whatever it is, he doesn't have his time to do his sort of faux Jeff Darrow level of detail to everybody. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of it in the foreground and then he just kind of gives up, but he's got plenty of time to like draw somebody's cheek being eaten away by disease to the point where you can see the like jaw underneath, which I thought was kind of like, huh, Priorities. Yeah, priorities, Jeff. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, I was kind of surprised because it really did leave me with this feeling of like, A, that's gross. B, I don't really want to read this again. And C, this kind of inner nagging, well, but what did you expect? You know, and kind of that thing of like, you do, you know, I mean, uh, by contrast, I am more or less enjoying, uh, for the most part, Jason Aaron's Wolverine run, where Logan is in hell and essentially being tortured and having to fight undead people over and over and over again, you know, to the point where his soul is just on the verge of, of, of snapping in half. And I'm like, yeah, but I enjoy that level of sort of male self-pity and torture and kind of darkness, but this level kind of sucked. Like, I don't know. It's just Again, a weird thing. Priorities. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you, in a way, and I, I mean, this as a compliment, you are the worst person to have this sort of conversation with, um, <laughs> because you're not the sort of person that can like, like I can talk like the, like you're not the God, sort of, finish the sentence unless I'm mistaken you're not the sort of person that considers say the te- the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be like one of the better movies they've ever seen whereas, that would that would not be me exactly whereas that strangely is me like as somebody who would never have thought he would have ended up in that place there is like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Toby Hooper's first fucking amazing piece of work um, and so there is some weird level, the guy who reads horror novels, who, you know, never, like, there's a weird line of, like, I like this, but I don't like that. I do like this, I don't like that. And I can never quite see where the, where, what divides them so much, because there is that weird area of, like, this is the same thing, it just goes too far. And yet, weirdly, the part that I like about some of the transgressive stuff that I like is how far it goes and where it goes with it, I suppose. Like you can go outside the envelope if you have some place that you're really going. But going, yeah, 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 for it to be more than just gratuitous. 
Yeah. Or gratuitous with the purpose, which somehow makes it less gratuitous. Right, exactly. But there is kind of this thing of like, admittedly, it's just the first issue, so I don't necessarily know. But this Wolverine book was like, I'm like, this is pushing the envelope with no real purpose, and it's just kind of blocked. Did you you see the the commentary on Twitter yesterday about the cover of the second issue? No. The cover of the second issue is Wolverine fighting Madcap. Madcap, yes. And Madcap has pulled his eye out, and the cover is Madcap pointing his own eye at the reader while he's bleeding from his eye sockets, and Wolverine is about to jump on him. Yeah, I I saw the cover. And, and there's like a really weird jaunty parental advisory. Like, <laughs> it's not, I, I don't know, there's something really weird about the tone. It actually reminds me, in a weird way, of Deadpool Max, mm-hmm. which Deadpool Max is like the most immature, mature reader's comic ever. Right. And there, But there's a glee about, I think, both the Wolverine and the, the Deadpool, mm-hmm. which... I don't know. It's 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 like Jackass. It's like Marvel Comics via Jackass. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. No, I I agree. And there's a way in which it sort of seems like it would work. I mean, for me, my impression of this first issue of Wolverine was it's very, it's very much like a fan of the the splatterpunk movement read. Wrote a, wrote, a, wrote a Wolverine comic. I don't know why that was so tough to say. Like someone like David J. Shaw or somebody like that taking a, taking a stab, uh, no pun intended, in a Wolverine comic. It's like, okay, this is what you want. This is what we're going to give you times five. And that's kind of the point is you're getting that, you know, bonus multiplier of it. I can sort of see with Deadpool, which I didn't read Deadpool Max, but again, the idea that like, well, it's a Max label, I, I feel like it's kind of appropriate and of course sort of knowing the creators you kind of know what you're going to get I I, I think that you, see, you say that but honestly I think Deadpool Max's biggest problem is that you know the creators you know what you're going to get and then less oh really? I think Deadpool Max is astonishingly lazy and amazingly unfunny oh interesting I, I really really it's funny because I've heard a lot of people just be like you know you just don't get it and it's like no I would get it if there was enough there to get mm-hmm it, it was really fun then. Right. Yeah, I well, I mean, this is my thing. I, I think did we, I can't even remember now if this is something we mentioned, but I've always found David Lapham's work post uh, Stray Bullets to be pretty disappointing. I really haven't, you know, as much as I enjoyed the crazy, you know, Joe Simon, this is the prez for the 21st century-ness of Sparta, USA, like, even that, I thought, was kind of weirdly underdeveloped, you know? Um, for me, Lapham is like a cartoonist who switched to writing, who kind of never quite figured out the proper transition, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, which is interesting, because there's so many dudes like Brubaker and Bendis, you know, and the list kind of goes on and on and on, or Jeff Parker, you know, of guys who were and are cartoonists who switched primarily to writing and kind of figured out the tricks to sort of what that what that transition entails or how to bring the extra level to it. Lapham always seems lost to me in his post-Stray Bullets career, and nobody ever seems to feel similarly, I guess, for the most part, as far as I can tell. Um, and so my personal feeling is, is that Lapham's not phoning it in. He's just... He's just lost, you know, and Baker is just going to do what Baker's going to do, 
but the few, I, I haven't read the book, but everything that I read, like the few criticisms I read and the panels, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't work for me. This does not work for me. So, but you know, I should, I should pick it up, but there is kind of a weird feeling like looking at Wolverine, the best there is kind of going like, huh? You know, I never thought that I would say this, but maybe it's a good thing that Disney is going to be there and maybe Marvel should kind of... What I what would bum me out would be that this sort of stuff continues to come out without the Max label and with the advisory slapped all over the cover but without enough branding to separate it because it really doesn't look that different from a Wolverine comic despite everyone saying not for kids it's like oh okay I see what you're saying here you're kind of joking you know and then you flip it open and it's like okay you're not joking and it's again when you've got really Mad- not for kids yeah well and when you've got Madcap pulling his character you know like his eyeball out and it's you know there's blood from his socket and it's kind of like but what really at that point can you do to me inside the book you know what I mean like it's kind of like you're like I'm already seeing this, thanks to you guys, you know, because you thought this was funnier than an advisory label, but I don't know. There's a weird, like, trying to have it both ways in some level that they're trying not to own up to, you know, Mm -hmm. I think. But, um, so did you just read the first issue of Deadpool, Max? Is there only one issue out currently? Uh, There's, I want to say there's three, but at this point, I only read the first one. I see. And And then, that was more than enough. Right. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not enjoying it, and I'm I have absolutely no reason to continue to pay money to see if I will change my mind in the future. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I if I get no enjoyment from it, then then I'm done. <laughs> Until it comes up in the Portland Library system, at which point you'll be like, oh, which point yeah, probably I'll be like, hey. <laughs> Well, no, sir. Like I probably won't because it, I've read, I've read enough. You, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I if I'd never read it, I would be more likely to get out of the Portland Library sure. than if I'd read the first issue and thought this isn't for me. Yeah. So but that said, I am, I am considering getting Cry for Justice at the Portland Library. So really, well, that sort of makes sense because you sort of because. Because it's all about the Nicolas Cage movies at this point, isn't it? No, no, you but know? it's but it's a, it's really about the um, kind of because I never really read like I read it, I skim read it mm-hmm. first, um, and I remember all the snark. And part of it is honestly, uh, is it as bad as it seemed? Right. As opposed right. to, I wonder what this is like. So, right, yeah, exactly. No, and it, it, of course, having described your Justice League. Um, yeah, my, my post Justice League uh, adoration. Yeah, it, it it really makes sense that it would be something that you'd want to check out too. I think. So, did you well, did you it, not bother with Justice League Classified though? Which is something I'm kind of curious about. No. Justice League Classified. You mean the 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 anthology? Yeah, the I don't know what you would call it. I guess it's I, I I I got the first three with um, Morrison and pretty much dropped off everything else. Oh, okay. You didn't check back in to see if Ellis was doing anything you'd be interested in, or is that... Ellis is not particularly a writer that I would feel drawn towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, I, I want to say I read some... I think I read Gil Simone's issues. Right, which I think came right after Ellis's, now that I think Yeah, um, and I... Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all I read. Okay. 
the more sin is diminished. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure how much more there was after that. Frankly, I think I went home for a while. I think I wouldn't say got to like issue fifty. I think it did too, which is kind of shocking because I'm like, I honestly would be hard pressed to remember any anyone or anything that came on it after Gail Simone. So it's like, Starin and Burton definitely did a run together. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, interesting. You think that that would be something that? I oh would... God, no, no, wait. I did read that. No, that was not very good. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. I I I, re- I really like Stern, but um, I think it was one of these things like Stern's dialogue and a burn plot. Right. Which is which is kind of interesting because yeah, Stern's another one of those dudes that's kind of uh, like. I do feel like he gets a lot of credit in the industry. Sometimes I wonder if he gets enough credit in the history. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's definitely. A, I think that's a good point, Jeff. Yes, thank you. Oh, I, I take it back. Like, didn't Kurt Busiek do his like his uh, follow up to Earth One or something in JLA? That, class no, that was that was actually in JLA. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. But then, never mind. So wait, so you didn't see the the Justice League Detroit? JLA classified. The Anka Hearts. No, I didn't. I almost picked it up and then didn't. <laughs> I, might, I might one day if there's two packages get packages of that. Wow. So it was Engelhart and Justice League Detroit and you still didn't pick it up. Yeah. Wow. I there was I want to say like there was actually a reason like that was one of the points where I just could not afford to buy comics. Oh, okay. okay. Um but yeah, or or maybe like I just was cuz there's definitely a period uh when, like when I was going back to school and talk, my dad was sick, where I just didn't buy many comics. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I want to say there's like a three month gap, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was during that period. Right. Uh, I see. There was a reason because I remember going, "Oh, I picked it up," and then I didn't. So mm-hmm. that I think there was more than just me not knowing about it. Huh. Well, listeners, if you know what you want, if you want to get Graham McMillan a gift, uh, you know where to start. Should be very easy. <laughs> exactly. Listeners, get Steve Ellingohart to write a new ongoing Justice League Detroit book. <laughs> As well, we said, Justice League Detroit, they killed off two members, they killed two members alive, and I think they made the wrong choice. Um, they killed which... off Steel and Vibe, and they kept Gypsy and Vixen around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that does seem like the wrong choice, does it? I, they killed off Vibe? Why would they kill off Vibe? Why would they kill off Vibe? That's a good question. <laughs> and then, then, don't forget, Vibe's brother, who had the same powers as him, turned into a superhero during uh, the Giffen era. Oh, really? And he was called Reverb. <laughs> I think that's worth hearing just for hearing you say the word Reverb. Reverb, everyone. Well, sir, <laughs> it's been an hour. <laughs> it certainly has. And we totally have not managed to um, come up with a question that we can retroactively put into the last podcast. Mm, yeah, well, I, like I said, I sort of feel like it was a little bit of me, like I was like, oh, I should, you know, it, it's related to that Invisibles question that you had. I mean, that was, I did come back to it, but yeah, I'm not going to be able to be like, yeah. what is the book that Jeff thinks is... <laughs> The Invisible's Antithesis. Tune in next time. (laughs) Here on Wait What. (laughs) Dude, that's That's how we're exiting.